Hi, this is Brennan Davis from the Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark and Adam Balderstone, and we're doing another episode of Horror Express, and tonight we're talking about From Beyond. This is a 1986 American science fiction film directed by Stuart Gordon, where a group of scientists have developed the Resonator, a machine which allows whoever is within range to see beyond normal, perceptible reality. But when the experiment succeeds, they are immediately attacked by terrible life forms. This is based on a uh, story by H.P. Lovecraft. I think it's got the same name, right? Is that also called yeah, From Beyond, if I remember? Yes. And, the, and the story is basically like the 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 introduction of the movie and then the movie just builds off of the little short story from there so like the first two minutes of the film or maybe five minutes are the short story and then they just create stuff on top of that um it stars jeffrey combs who was in the reanimator as herbert west uh barbara crampton um and it's i don't know it's uh what do you guys think of this movie uh have you seen it before and if you have, like, what was your experience going back to it? I uh, saw this back in the 80s on, you know, on cable one night. And uh, I'd already seen Reanimator. So, yeah, I loved this movie the first time I saw it. And I was already a Call of Cthulhu player at the time I saw this, too. So I was just very on board for this movie. Um, yeah, it's like, it's not is completely crazy as reanimator but i think it's it's a really solid really solid movie i think i, I love this one and watching it again i i think i only enjoyed it more watching it watching it now so yeah it's it, it is it, it's interesting contrast we i mean we recently reviewed uh the unnameable and that movie just just did not quite come together and there's so much there's similarities between the two and it's just this one is the characters are so well crafted and memorable it's like they they created this plot for it and it, it feels really good even though they just made stuff up i mean even the minor characters like the the, the guy who's the heavy who goes along with them back to the house it's like yeah he, he, uh, he like just sticks in your head the nurse all these characters it's just such a well-made put together yeah. b movie but uh yeah joel what's your opinion oh man i i couldn't i couldn't share your opinion more this this one was fantastic i have seen it before brendan um this was during my let me see this is probably during my jeffrey combs phase i think i saw <laughs> i think i saw this about the same time as reanimator um just because like Actually, my introduction to all this was Dagon. Uh, Dagon was a, much, okay. was a somewhat more recent movie. And so, I, so one of my friends who was really into heavy metal had a DVD of it at the time because we were ancient and watched movies on DVDs. And uh, that was a thing. People did that huh. for like five years. I know. it's It seems like an archaeological curiosity now. But no, they were actually – they stored entire films on these digital discs. It was incredible. Uh, and we watched Dagon. And I was like, where did this come from? This is fantastic. And so I kind of went on a quest, and it turns out the people who made it made a lot of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations, and all of them are pretty stellar, honestly. Yeah. Um, I share the opinion that it has some weird, almost uncomfortable similarities with uh, the last film we reviewed, uh, uh, The Unnameable, uh -huh. because they they both kind of cram in the H.P. Lovecraft right at the beginning, and they sort of build their own thing. But you, they're almost like night and day. Like You couldn't ask for a, a better contrast with the dullness and unoriginality of The Unnameable. Like, this is so vibrant 
And like you said, the, mm-hmm. the characters, they, they stick in your head. Like you, you like them. You, you feel like whenever you're watching it, that you kind of get to know them and like you understand them and their, their motivations. And, and they have these wonderful, fun interactions. And man, I, I can't praise Jeffrey Combs enough in it. it he, cause he was, he was Herbert yeah. West and as Herbert West, he was like almost comically nefarious and he had this extremely fun delivery um, that just made you made you love the little bastard. And here he's really sympathetic. Um, yeah. He only kind of goes crazy eventually. And like he's he's like broken and he has the same intensity with his delivery. Yeah. But like it's it's paced in a different way. And yeah. I I love it. If you see this movie for nothing else and there's plenty of reasons to see it, um, including uh, some really, really great creature effects. Um, definitely, definitely see it for Jeffrey Combs. Do it for the Combs. Yeah, his line yeah. deliveries in this are pretty amazing actually and it would, it would have some... been oh, go ahead no you okay. go it, it just would have been so easy to go hey let's do herbert west again like like yeah. not if that character but that that persona for whatever part oh, yeah. the next movie to go let's do something totally different just shows that these people are actually interested in being creative yes. and so, they are they, they even have their own evil scientists it's like uh-huh. look, so many evil scientists and this one is very true to the one that Lovecraft wrote with, with enough creativity layered on top of it that it's distinct and it's distinct from Herbert West. And so yeah. is Jeffrey Combs performance. Ugh. And he's still playing a scientist too. So it's just kind of, it's, it's just interesting that they still managed to make him different enough. Um, and they give but, him the name Dr. Pretorius too, to yeah. give you the uh, Bride of Frankenstein reference yeah. on top of everything. Pretty, so. pretty yeah, that, that was a nice touch. I thought that was a nice touch. He also, he also had, a, um, I don't know, just the, uh, who played Edward Pretorius? Ted Sorrell. Yeah, he was he was wonderful in that role. He had a uh-huh. real seventies sort of playboy type, <laughs> you know, like yeah. like like, like yeah, slightly too mature vibe, playboy yeah. type vibe going on, and it just worked for what they were going for. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it, it, yeah. I I think the movie the, this movie is really fun. Um, it's it's also I don't know it's it it keeps you interested at every step of the way, whether, whether they're just doing the introduction where he's kind of running the initial experiment that goes awry, mm-hmm. or even when they're like in the house, just having coffee, they, it somehow, everything feels compelling about it. It's, and, and I think that you're right about comparing it to the unnameable where it's like, well, we have to have this period where stuff just happens for a length mm-hmm. of time. And this kind of has a similar problem, but, I think the dynamics between the characters are different. And so you enjoy spending time with the characters. And there's also everything is there's like a a rhythm underlying all of the beats of the movie that that just kind of keep it moving. So you never do get bored. You're like, oh, I'm enjoying this kitchen scene. But before you get bored with it, something happens or they move to the next thing or you know, whatever. And so, uh, and, they're just, and, and, they're just good characters too. I yeah. mean, it, that makes a huge difference where it's supposed to being, there's two frat boys. What are their personalities? They're frat boys. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. You need to know. One of them was a little rapier than the other one. Not a yeah, lot yeah. rapier, just a smidge. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- this did definitely benefit from, I think the, I think the three characters, um, the Bubba character, the Dr. <laughs> Catherine character. Oh, and God, the, his name the, was Dr. Bubba, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and Dr. Crawford. Yeah. The, the all, yeah they worked really well together and complimented each other. And it just, I don't know. You, you were like sad when Bubba dies. You're like, Oh yeah. no. Bubba. And that was effective too. Cause he's so powerful. And then he's gone, you know, the, the, the and likable. So that when he's gone, it's like a double whammy. Um, 
Yeah, right. the third act of this movie really it pulls no punches. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a and it's really bizarre. Like it, it like much of the movie is just kind of them in a house talking mm-hmm. as the, you know and dealing with this experiment. But then there's this whole last half where the transformation of Crawford Killengast occurs, <laughs> and it gets really really weird. Um, and and there's like a lot of strange BDSM see, uh, themes threaded through the movie. You know, it's just it, yeah. it, you're kind of yeah. It gets a little Clive Barker. I, I will admit. It, get, yeah. it gets Clive Barker, but like Clive Barker does it in a way that's totally different than this movie. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, the subject matter is similar, but there's a very different tone than say Hellraiser. It's like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna show off some un, probably very revelatory knowledge. It's the difference between going to like a BDSM club and you kind of have two cases of people that you know are very distinct, although they're into the same thing. You have like the heavy metal dudes and then you have like the rich guys who are doing it for fun and Uh they, they talk and they have a lot in common, but that is a very different vibe. They come from very different worlds. Same thing. This is the heavy metal one. Clive Barker is the rich one. Yeah. Okay. As though you need me to tell you that. Another compared to another movie too. It's interesting. This came out the same year as The Fly because Killinghast almost like, does go through a fly-like transfer. Yeah, but he actually, he you know he's he's got this weird, you know, there's the kind of this underlying strangeness with his relationship with uh with um Pretorius. Pretorius. Yeah. And it's like they merged together at the end. And it's like, it's almost like a happy ending. They kind of became <laughs> the same being at the end. But it's like, that's all Tillinghast ever wanted. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, I, I don't know. what. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think your comparison sounds kind of right to me, because the way I was thinking of it is Clive Barker is kind of he's got like a lot of subtext, a lot of I mean, there was subtext in this movie, but there was like a, there's like a lot of refinement to how Clive Barker handles these themes. Yeah, it, yeah. and this movie just puts approach. the themes out right in the foreground. <laughs> where it's a more you know, right in your face. Yeah, it's just nope. We're just, just gonna put right all, out the, all the paraphernalia out in the open, and that's that's just what the movie's gonna be about, you know. So I don't know, it, it, but it's also it, it's also done in like a charming way. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel. It, it, it's not like it's not x-rated do you know what i mean it's it, it's it's no. it's you know it's fairly tame um it, it has in, a wise restraint yeah yeah I, it's not really a movie i'd want to watch with my nephews no <laughs> it's not like a kid's movie by any stretch but, <laughs> but what i mean but I, is i could see like this being like a late teenager slumber party movie you know oh, totally. it's, it's just risque it. enough for that yeah, uh, that's my first experience with the movie it's totally great for uh for that age group definitely yeah, right. and it it actually feels a little less um because like when you compare it to like Hellraiser as a film, Hellraiser the first one especially, the second one not so much. The second one feels pretty heavy metal, honestly. But the first yeah. one feels kind of like sinister in this like nihilistic way. And I've I've seen the phrase nihilism tossed around a lot, but it does mean something very specific. Yeah. And this movie doesn't have nihilism at the core. It's it's got a moral question at the core, you know, a, a question of like like losing your identity to your passions kind of thing. And I always felt like Hellraiser was more like, it really felt like there was nothing at the center of the universe. It was just chaos all the way down and you are going to die. Um, It's a very different feel. And so like, I'd feel like if my kid is going to watch something when they're like 16 odd years old, (laughs) I I hope it's 16. It's probably gonna be younger, but it's 16 years old. I hope it's this one and not Hellraiser. Cause I think Hellraiser will, they'll, they'll come off a little differently, you know, they'll, they'll learn something worse from it. Um, but, this movie just yeah. feels like a sleazy, stupid, fun, good time. And it's yeah. not 
it's not dumb, but it feels dumb. And I love that. I respect that. It's pulpy is how yeah. I would describe Ooh, it. This is an pulp. extremely pulpy movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's smart people making pulpy material, I think. Is yeah, that's, I that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I like just the ambiguity with like Barbara Crampton's character. It's like she really is irresponsible. It's like it would be easy to make it like the the, the evil nurse has a lot of good points about. I mean, well, well, let's let's. Talk, I thought the relationship between her and the nurse. What was the uh, what was that lady's name? Um, uh, Carolyn. Purdy Gordon. She's actually a doctor too. Though. I I I did I don't remember her being referred to as a doctor, but doctor. Yeah, she was, she, she, yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, they got called like a nurse, but she's definitely an actual doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Doctor Block. That was it. Doctor Block, which is you know another nice touch. But the uh, the, uh, the their whole relationship, I thought that was interesting because Doctor Block has resentment towards her for being the girl wonder. But yeah. in a lot of ways, Doctor Block is the much more professional and responsible doctor. Even though, oh yeah, even though she's like a like basically like a horrible, you know. Well, she's she's well, a heel. She is a heel. Yeah, Whether or not I mean, she's correct, she's a heel. Yeah, I mean, she does do the thing of of doing the electroshock therapy on her just as a pure method of revenge. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that yeah. that's like she does. She she has her her horrible flaws. That's what I mean. But, yeah, she's a she's a they're 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 complicated characters in that regard. Like like I said with Tilling asked, it's like he's the sympathetic character we feel for a lot, but he's still anytime anyone runs down Pretorius, he's like he was a ge he's a genius yeah. and he's he's just devoted to this guy who has caused all this problem in the first place. Well, and he also goes in the brain eating uh, excursion. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah, I. You know, once again, he's kind of mutated by that point. Yeah, so that's, that's true. You know, that's it's, true. Uh, it's more of like a werewolf type situation where he's kind mm -hmm. of out of control and the, mm -hmm. the pineal gland is uh, is taken over at this point. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I just love the pop out pineal gland. <laughs> that has stuck with me forever since the first time I've seen this movie. Well, and the effects on it are really good, too. Like, it's clear uh, that there's there's some kind of string they're using to wiggle it around all crazy, but you never see it. It's beautifully shot. Yeah, because uh, his yeah. forehead is a little bit bigger, and it kind of makes sense if he's got some sort of growth in his skull, I suppose, but clearly that's to contain whatever is in there. Putting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, I mean, we, we talk a lot about this, but, the, you know, 80s being the peak of this kind of effects, like, this is one of the movies to look at if you're like, so well, when people say those 80s horror effects were great, here's here's one. Well, what's good about this one is this has the good and the bad all together, but it still yeah. works and it still demonstrates, in, at least in my opinion, why practical effects are almost always superior to CGI. Because even like in the scene where like there's a scene where he's got like the arms by his side and he's just like, uh, you know, where uh, Dr. Pretorius has like his arms kind of dangling by his side as he runs after Crawford and it looks kind of odd. Do you know what I mean? It's just, he's just kind of like an army beast or something. But the, the fact that like all of the slime and goop is like actually present and on the other actors and that there's like clear yeah. physical contact, it just makes yeah. it a different experience than if it was like, clean cgi and you know that the actors aren't actually feeling the slime on them do you know what i mean like there's a yeah. there's a difference that and also i think with cgi they would have farmed it out to some company that wouldn't have even been on the set but yeah practical effects you have to be on the set so they have to be so even when they're bad practical practical effects they're at least related to what's going on it's not like 
this thing where some something intrudes from another universe that looks really Which cool, but it has nothing to do. Perfectly acceptable considering the subject matter. <laughs> that's true. That, that's true. But you know but what and, I'm talking about. Well, the about. thing is, they do that with practical effects in this movie, like when they have the little like weird fish things. Like they, the way they shoot yeah. them, they're like rotoscoped or something, and so they look like they are these intrusive beings, and it looks. Yeah. But that's wild. a green like screen great. effect too. So that's a that's you know, the big I, limitation honestly, that we had at the time. But the yeah. limitation works for this movie because there's an unearthliness to green screen effects yeah. that actually captures the the thing that would be real to them. I actually kind of like it. I'm being real with you, I like it. I like the schlocky green screen effects. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I put this in the same kind of category as um, let me see. What's another what's another one that use really good practical effects that like they usually hit the mark, but sometimes you're like, eh, like Little Shop of Horrors kind of did that for me. Like I really love the effects in Little Shop of that Horrors. That's good effects. That's I, like, I mean I like uh, I mean that's that's Frank Oz, so I mean what do you what do you expect? He's he is one of the original Muppeteers. Oh gee, so, Muppeteer. Exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, I thought that, I mean, the practical effects were really enjoyable in this. And when they, and when they didn't work, they were still fun. If that, do you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the um, energy scenes was never lessened by something looking kind of goofy. I, I would yeah, say. I think, yeah. I mean, that's a problem modern audience have. They've had CGI fed to them for so long that it's like when I was young, you, you sometimes just realized you had to work with this movie a little yeah. bit. And it's like modern audiences yeah. are completely unwilling to work with anything that isn't that isn't hollywood level which means that you know that it it basically means that, that, that it really shuts out a lot of lower level filmmakers really well that's yeah. that's a really good way of characterizing it too that you sort of have to work with it like you have to use your imagination and put in effort to enjoy what's in front of you yeah, yeah. the the no effort enjoyment of something like cgi encourages a sort of thoughtlessness Whereas yeah. with this, because you kind of have to squint to make it work, <laughs> yeah. you are at least engaging yourself. You're like, well, what were they going for here? Yeah. Well, also, with CGI, you're also always playing a game of trying to figure out how it was done. And often you can actually see, like, you can see the well, string. You, you said with CGI, you mean... I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, practical. with practical effects. Yeah. With practical effects, you're always sort yeah. of playing that game where you're like, okay, yeah. where's the where where's the man in the costume? And, you know, where's the strings? And where, you know, how do, you know... You, you, you know, yeah, where, you know, you know that's know. weird. People don't do that anymore. Th that used to be such a big deal whenever we would yeah. do, like... It would be like, there'd be a special effect... And, like, you would either call it out if it was obvious, like, green screen, claymation, or whatever. Yeah. Or you'd be like, wait, how do they pull that off? Like, I remember the, the Liquid Terminator, Terminator 2, was, uh, like, mind-blowing to us. They're like, yeah. how did they do it? Yeah. That was a really big deal, you know? And it was the same thing with when Jurassic Park came out. And it took the world by storm because we'd never seen anything like that I, before. I yeah. almost thought those were real dinosaurs when Jurassic Park came out because I couldn't okay. accept that. Like again, I you know CGI was new, and I just couldn't accept that level of yeah, uh, you know. But that that was a mix of practical and CGI, yeah. though, which is why nothing looks as good as the original Jurassic <laughs> Park anymore. Well, that, well, that's what so that was so disappointing. Is Jurassic Park promised us so much, and then yeah. we were just it was just years and years of mostly very bad CGI and it, that didn't it comes you down know. to money too, because yeah. really the thing is it's cheaper to use. That's the real reason why CGI yeah. totally wiped practical effects well, out. It's purely the cost involved. Well, and that's why I'm talking about like the, the third, the, like the out of house people that they hired It's yeah. like, they just farm it out to some guy with a computer and his buddy or whatever. And, and you can tell it's very, 
it's very chintzy looking. Um, at least, at least with practical effects, you can see the craft that goes mm -hmm. into them. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we should probably move on to another topic before it just becomes <laughs> about CGI. I, uh, but, I mean, I think this is a movie that encourages it. There's beautiful stuff in here. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and there's the goofy stuff, and it's fun. Also, the coloration of this movie. It's still, like the reanimator no, has like the green glow, and this has like a lavender type. Yeah, we call it pink. It's okay. It, we know it's pink. They're, they're very comic book colors to an extent, too. Yeah. I mean, they look like yeah. old three color comic book. You could see this being a horror comic just from that alone. Well, and well, this was like the era of like neon green slime, and uh -huh. you know what I mean? Like, and all, you know, neon everything, really. So, yeah. it, you know, it, the coloration works, I think. Um, that's how you knew you were in the present, was, was the neon at the time, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 80s were neon. Damn if you it. went to a mall and everything wasn't neon, you knew it was an old mall. You know, that yeah. was sort of a. Yeah, um, well, it would, be, it would be orange and brown if it wasn't neon. No, yeah, only yeah, yeah. two options. Oh God! But orange and brown was like the seventies. That's what I'm saying. Color. I said, yeah. yeah, anything that hadn't gone neon still had that it's, orange and brown. I actually went to a mall in the late nineties that still had the orange and brown mall thing going, and it was, it was like, like we're walking God. into I another era. Yeah, Caldor, I think, kept that orange and brown coloration up until like they went under. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, we'll be 70s until the bitter end. We, we, well, we were going to malls back when they had like ashtrays in the malls and people were uh, smoking in them. The yeah. golden days, yeah. yeah. But uh, I was thinking, RE the coloration. Um, this, well, that actually, that, that's a good point because we also did Creep Show not too long ago. And Creep Show was like 81, 82, wasn't it earlier than this? Like, I forget pretty significant. Days, yeah, Creep Show was before this. We know it was before it was Cheers. That's what we established. It was before Ted Danson did Cheers, I think. You, it kind of would have had to. Was it before Leslie Nielsen did the the Naked Gun movies? But it, I think it was after Airplane, though. But it was before the oh, Naked okay. Gun because Naked Gun yeah, was, was like eighty eight. But but oh. Police Squad. When was Police Squad? That was early eighties, wasn't it? I think that was when I was in Kuwait. So early eighties. Yeah, eighty one to eighty four, somewhere oh. in there. I love that. Man. Anyway, so but the, the that's another movie that wasn't afraid to shy away. Like it didn't shy away from colors. It was all like really bright, you know, like greens and pinks and blues and reds, and yeah. like. The way it used them and the way this movie uses color, like because it's diegetic in this movie. When they when they switch on the resonator, mm -hmm. things get lavender, like yeah. very neon pink, very quickly. And it's something that's happening in the movie, but it's also kind of yeah, happening to us perceptually. Like you know, we're 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 experiencing the this other reality they're experiencing. And in Creepshow, it was very explicitly like past that reality. Like we yeah. were seeing what a, someone reading a comic book would see, you know, for yeah. dramatic purposes that were like, it, it called attention to the artificiality of it in a way that was effective for that movie. So like, that's interesting to think about that. Like you can kind of use the almost exactly the same technique, but it presented in a way that it has a very distinct manifestation. Man, I, I love the craft of filmmaking. What a fascinating little mm -hmm. nugget. Cool. The other cool thing is, uh, and I, I sent you guys an email about this, is that the house that they use, the set for the house, that's clearly modeled after the witch house in Salem, which is the with the, the house from the H.P. Lovecraft story, the witch house. So it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I mean, they look exactly alike. So, so this alike. is another place where this movie completely dunks on the unnameable then. It's great. But the... Uh... Yeah, I missed that, actually. Yeah, and I should bring up, Gordon did do a uh, Witch House adaptation for Masters of Horror, eventually. Well, well I think that's on our list, isn't it, of uh, of, of things um, to... Ones to consider, yep. Well, yeah, have, have... It's, uh, 
it's I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember it being worth reviewing. Here in the Lovecraft ethic, which I'm fine with. There's so many both great and terrible Lovecraft adaptations. We could do this for the next year. A while. Yeah. <laughs> so the other yeah. thing I like too is that the the opening sequence, that scene when they're running down the stairs with the neighbor lady. Just the way yeah. that was shot was yeah. so well done. That was it's really intense, good man. filmmaking. I know, I know. It's, uh, yeah, Gordon really is a great director. I, I just, going back to him, I'm just so impressed. Yeah, it's it's easy to lose sight of, too, because when I think, when I would think back to movies like this in The Reanimator, mm-hmm. I just would always think, oh, that those, those like cheesy movies from the yeah. 80s. But I didn't have like a sophisticated knowledge of movie making at the time like you do now. I mean, one thing back in the back in the pre-internet days, just everyone could become an can watch a few YouTube videos. And now I know everything about cinematography. Yeah. Back then, it took you a long time to kind of develop that. Well, yeah, I still had to develop it by comparing movies that you saw. Yeah. Like that's that's how you develop the dialogues. You'd watch a lot of movies and it was difficult to watch a lot of movies back then. Now with streaming services, you can't help but watch a ton of movies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's it's funny. I think in a lot of ways I might have watched more movies because of video store culture at the time. I feel <laughs> like I feel like it wasn't uncommon to rent a movie every, almost every night if you were determined to do it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not every night, but frequent enough I, movies. I, 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 two I, on I, the weekend was kind of my pattern. Yeah, but, yeah I'd but, pretty routinely go to a video store and, and get something. So, yeah. And also because it was a physical thing, I feel like I remembered it more that when I sometimes when I watch something on streaming, it's almost like I watch it and then it evaporates yeah, it from my memory. Just, like yeah. drains out of your brain. I, that's one of the reasons I'm glad I saw that new Dune movie, the the Villeneuve one in theaters, because like I can't find a physical copy of the thing. I, I love Dune. I actually really liked the movie. But yeah. like if I hadn't seen it in, in the theater, I don't think I would remember it. And it's a good movie. You know, it really hits the story beats very well. There's some really yeah. good creative stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things. It really does need the second half to come out. But I'm like, well, I, I feel yeah. like it's a good beginning. But I'm like, I, 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 I the my just, I'll, I'll go away from Dune very quickly. But just the one thing to say, I, just, I just remember like when there were 25 minutes in the movie left, and me realizing, oh yeah, oh, this yeah. is just the first half. They're gonna end in the gonna, night it's fight. It's not gonna they? go anywhere beyond this. Yeah, it, at least the, the second fight, one will also end in a night fight. So that's good. Oh yeah, they did <laughs> the best they could. Spoilers, wink. Anyway, enough of that. Enough of our, our Herbert love. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we should probably actually do a, a breakdown of that when the second one comes out. We should, I'll force you all Definitely. to watch it. Mostly yeah. force Brendan to watch it. I think you're gonna you're already going to be in the theater booing at it. <sighs> like a true Herbert fan. Anyway, so let's, let's get back to uh, this this wonderful... I, I actually, the thing, thing that you said that caught in my mind, the idea of this movie being kind of corny... Um, I think that's that's a pretty common criticism that are leveled against movies like this, but I think it lacks nuance because mm-hmm. uh, I remember this movie as being corny too, and then I watched it again uh, for this podcast, and I was like, "Wow, actually, this is just kind of great." Like it's it's pulpy. That's a better way of characterizing yeah. it. But like I yeah. remembered it as being like like goofy, you know, and and schlocky is the term I'd use. But like after having been on your schlock program, Brandon, yeah. I've developed my taste for schlock, and I can now distinguish <laughs> between like. The, the subtle nuance of difference between this and the Toxic Avenger. Yeah, yeah, like this they... is not schlock. This is definitely, this, like, like schlock would be Toxic Avenger or a Force of One or, you know, you know any kind of, like, low, schlock by definition has to be kind of a low-grade 
sort of thing. Like, there's got to be problems with the movie. The craftsmanship has to falter a little bit for the for it to be schlock. And yeah. and, and this is this is well crafted. It's just fun, and it doesn't always take itself too seriously. It has humor at odd moments. It's happy to sort of, it's happy to have very stark almost one-dimensional characters if they're entertaining do you know what i mean and so <laughs> yeah they're I, simple characters but they're big characters every yeah, like even like yeah. the detective who's hanging around the hospital it's like yeah. you remember that guy he's just yeah. he is just a generic kind of tv detective type character <laughs> but that's yeah. exactly it, what you want it's like so. a hair away from parody but it stays just above the line right like yeah it's like, and i think like, i think it's worth with, with the whole you know this being kind of a funny movie to an extent i think kind of an issue this movie would have had with audiences at the time was 1986 you're kind of in the the dark knight returns watchman era where geeks are all yearning to be taken seriously <laughs> we want our grim dark why does no one take so it's like I we think, demand to be taken seriously exactly to go with the rest of the development there but uh i yeah i just think it came out i mean it's not like the movie bombed or anything as far as i know but i'm saying if keep it there was just this thing push against you would think people would think it would say oh that's corny because well they're kind of embarrassed by anything that's kind of silly about horror at that point well, well it's sort of like how they have like like bubba is like an ex-football player and he mentions that and then they have yeah. a scene where he literally tackles <laughs> <laughs> he literally tackles crawford down the stairs uh -huh. right so it's, it, it, it you know but it works it's like oh yeah he's a football player that's how he'd probably do that you know it just it just kind of solve your problems yeah yeah uh, what I want to know is where he got the apple from that he ate because he gets out of the car and he shakes he shakes Crawford's hand, right? And so his other hand must have been used to open the door. And yet he as soon as he's done talking he, with his left hand, he eats a bite out of an apple. What, what was he wearing? I, I carry an apple in my pocket frequently when I'm hiking. So it's, well, that's what not. I was going to say was the apple <laughs> in his pocket. That must have been. Yeah. Like, considering Bubba's size, if he pulled an entire pumpkin out of that pocket, I would not have even been so surprised. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> this is just he my snack. Yeah, he has larger pockets than me. So <laughs> he has large enough pockets I could fit comfortably inside of them. Well, it's funny. It's like it's it's a totally unimportant moment in the movie, but I just saw myself <laughs> thinking, well, why the apple? Like, why like like what would the scene play like if he didn't bite into the apple at the end of it? And I was sort of playing that through my head. <laughs> I don't actually, actually I remember the apple. So I'm like, well, I'm trying to recall. If you, that, uh, so if you watch that scene again, just pay attention to the apple and then try to think of the scene ending without the apple. And I think it's sort of like, there's a reason why they did it, but it's like, I can't, you can't really put it into words why it worked, but it I just kind of enjoy the idea that it is just the kind of universe where you can just pull an apple out of the air to make like a, a rhetorical <laughs> bite of an apple to finish your sentence. It's like, that's, that's kind of, he basically bites the apple and he kind of makes like a jet, like a, you know, I don't know what the meaning of the, of the, the he sort of shrugs <laughs> his shoulders and makes a face. Okay. But I'll it's, give my, my actor yeah. experience thing on this because as actors, it's like you always look for ways to do things. Like I remember we were doing this scene once and it wasn't working that well. Like we just couldn't find the moment. And then we were kind of arguing back and forth, but it was like I started just playing with this 
deck of cards playing solitaire. And then at one point he would grab the cards from me. Then I grabbed them back. And when I reached my point of maximum anger, I just threw the deck on the floor and just spent cards everywhere. And it's like, it's nothing in the script, but it like made it come alive. And I just feel like sometimes actors just looking for that little, he's like, Hey, an apple. Perfect. That'll, mm. that'll make the take. So, okay. okay. I feel it, it was worked. probably, it, it was probably something that came up on the set. Because it came up on the set, he only had the apple in that take at the end where he did that. So all those other shots were already in the can, and they or, just had to have the apple come out of nowhere. Or maybe they tried different fruit. Maybe they had like a scene with a banana, <laughs> you know, a scene with a candy oh, bar. The scene, you I, know. Want, I still want to see the one with the pumpkin, man. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there was a pumpkin. You know, I, pumpkin <laughs> would be hard because you'd have to have it be like a piece of pumpkin pie or something. No, no, he, he just takes a bite out of a pumpkin just like an apple. That's what I want to see. <laughs> I want the pumpkin cut. God damn it. Yeah. It's, uh, but, you know, yeah, the, it, I don't know. But it was just one of those little details where I was just curious sort of where it came from. Um, and I apologize. Some My neighbor's doing something very loud. I don't know if it's picking up on my mic, but. No, I can't. Like, oh, no, I can hear it now. You pointed out. Now I can hear it. Now you can hear it. Yeah, I, <laughs> Wonderful. I don't know what they're doing. But anyways, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Any other thoughts about the, the, the film? Anything that we didn't cover? Um. <sighs> I don't want to like get too deep into titillation things. I I already started talking about like weird BDSM culture things, but I do think it's it's worthy enough to mention it because like H.P. Lovecraft is such an like asexual, timid nerd <laughs> that like it's That's it's fair, interesting. Yeah. Well, he is like he never there's no romantic love or anything like that as I recall, and like I think he has a couple of poems about it, but like he had, he had that he had that one girlfriend he lived with for a while, but uh, that was his wife. He had a wife. Well, oh yeah, they were married. Yeah, they were married. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I mean it's not like he he was an asexual person, but like it never really comes forward into his writing. Not at all. Um, no. That that was that that's worth mentioning how how different this is in that regard. Yeah, and it, it is. And I don't. The, the strange thing about it is usually, as a guy who really likes the original authorial intent of things, yeah. usually I'm a purist about it. I'm I'm completely mm -hmm. stuck up. But in this case, I actually think it was a good addition. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that's because I'm a huge pervert. That doesn't hurt. But I, I think <laughs> that it it kind of took the the central theme, uh, which was a, that temptation to yeah. get like more knowledge and more wisdom and it just said well what what can we do with that like how can we expand this into something that's a little more interesting and rich because mad scientist once forbidden knowledge is a little you know it's a little played out but like yeah. they, they did that like adam and eve thing where they it was kind of like an extension of this guy's vanity and ego and yeah. it, he had i i really i really loved his personality by the way uh pretorius because like clearly he actually had a lot of insecurities when he was still a human person. Yeah. Like when, well, he's clearly he, like this impotence thing going on and all yeah, of this stuff. underlying. And, like Tillinghast tries to pick at him about it. But at the, at the point in the movie, when we find Pretorius, he's post-human and he's yeah. kind of found this weird fleshy apotheosis where he's beyond it. And so those digs never really get to him. He yeah. really gets, has this, this look at, uh, at Tillinghast where he's like, you're going to get there telling gas. You're going to see what I see. And then you'll be just like me. And the movie's smart enough to like, not necessarily play that purely for titillation, but show it as like a journey. These characters are going on at different points yeah. in it. 
and they all have yeah. different reactions well, to it too. Aside from Bubba, they all get sucked into some level. So. Yeah. Well, even even Bubba does. It's just that he, you know, he's yeah, mostly like, in control of it. I think, like he, he gets. That's the, my uh, point. Yeah. yeah, he feels it. But. Like he, he he tells us explicitly how it affects him. So like you know we we know yeah. the results of the the thing. But I think that the uh, the the other thing too is because it's about perception and it's about the senses. It kind of mm-hmm. makes sense that they would have to find a sense to to sort of use to sort of illustrate, do you know what I mean? That like that this yeah. is about, you know, perceiving things and go and, and, and using sensuality works. I do also think Stuart Gordon just kind of has a thing yeah. for these kinds of, you He's know, a kind of thing. in the best yeah. possible way. Yeah. Um, I, I think another thing too, the sexlessness of Lovecraft stuff isn't what makes it good. It's, it's, a, it's true. It is, but yeah. that's, that has nothing to do with Lovecraftian themes as people talk about them. So there's absolutely no reason not to throw it in. I don't think it ruins anything about Lovecraft. No. It, and they, they do this thing where they're taking human comprehensible things. and like raw animal. Us is a thing human beings feel. And they yeah. distort it into this monstrous version of itself. And it, yeah. and it shows like the steps along that is like, you become like deadened to human senses and connections. And it becomes more about the high and less about like the actual connection. And it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's actually, a, a, like I said, it's a moral question at its center. And mm-hmm. it's, it's more about like impulse control and addiction and, and how we deal with temptation and, like this, this horrible slide we can go into, like some inhuman monstrousness. Ah, it's, and it's very Lovecraftian in that regard. It, it really, yep. even though it is exploring a theme that Lovecraft would not touch with a six-inch pole, <laughs> um, it's still like it's still doing it in a very Lovecrafty way, yeah. and it's doing it in a very cerebral way, so that it's not just and, and that elevates it. It makes it so it's not just schlock. It is something that's that's important to the text of the movie. Yeah, oh, it's, it, now you brought that up. It's like, you know, Gordon is one of the best Lovecraftian directors. And then you got Ramsey Campbell, who's one of the best Lovecraftian writers that came after them. And they both put the weird perversion thing into their <laughs> stuff. And it's like, it basically, by be, they became the best by going, okay, what's the one thing Lovecraft just should have had on the table, but didn't? And it's... <laughs> and also, well, I, think the, I think the sexless thing with Lovecraft isn't so much... I mean, because Lovecraft obviously had a lot of weirdness, but I don't think that was one of them. No. I think that was just the puritanical nature of, like, old New England families kind of coming to the... Front, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Rather than I agree. him specifically being, you know, uncomfortable with it. Um, yeah. I think it's just oh, yeah. like he just didn't he probably talk just or write thought- about it. Right. He, it would just be something he wouldn't have any interest in writing about. Like, I'm sure he was yeah. a normal, healthy, functional person in some regards. He did have a wife, after all. But, like, yeah. Uh, it's just, well, it's it, mainly a stories about dudes anyway, and his stories yeah. anyway. Yeah. So there's just well, what's interesting of... about the original story is it's another one of those Lovecraft stories, kind of like the Unnameable, where it's really just two guys talking, and yeah, we're getting yeah. the action even more than the unnameable, we're getting the action through the discussion that they're having with each other. Yeah, and I remember, like, I remember those two stories having a really big impact on me because I realized you don't like stories don't have to be these like beginning, middle, and end type things. They can just kind of be these moments and these conversations yeah. where stuff happens like that. But it's it's more about you know it's more about an idea and then like the culmination of the idea. And I I must have written like twenty like imitations of like from beyond oh, it's, dialogue it's wonderfully you know, where it's, it's just wonderfully imitatable yeah. as a writer 
Yeah, it, it oh. is like that. And it's, it's drawing on some really old sci-fi tropes. Like that's the way Frankenstein was written. Yeah. Um, and it builds this incredible atmosphere. That's one of the, the thing about that. And most of Wolfcast writing is this. It's, it's very brief and only takes what it needs. And it builds a very specific atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Like the unnameable and this have a lot textually in common. They really yeah, yeah. do. They're basically, like you said, they're two people talking. But the atmosphere in both is very different. You know, uh, there's there's this feeling of like mounting dread in this as they slowly get further and further away from like safe reality and they're kind of like drifting out into this sort of cosmic sea of nightmares well it's also a really really cool idea this notion that there is this this world around us that we just can't perceive because our senses are limited and that you know that you can you can adjust that you can see you know that that's a really cool idea well Uh, and it's 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 good because it's true Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a real yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. There's colors that can kill us that we can't is. see. There's there's yeah. There's colors we can't see. There's germs that we can't see that kill us. Like yeah. they're real and they're dangerous and yeah. they're everywhere around us every second. And I'm, oh, yeah, I'm well, assuming that that's the sort of thing that inspired it too. I, I like that even that that. What was yeah. that? Adam? I was gonna say one of my favorite favorite. You know, this is post Lovecraft, but someone took that idea and ran with it. Grant Morrison and the Invisibles. I love the Ooh. little thing he sets up where he's like, "Okay, you know how when you're at a gas station, if you're if you like work in a gas station, you don't smell the gas anymore. It's like <laughs> there's these things around us that have been around our entire lives that are the gasoline that we've just filtered mm. out of our senses. <laughs> and it's I was like, nose blind. Great, I think it's great called. analogy yeah. there. Oh so yeah, that, the, the Invisibles is incredible. Another recommendation from the the yeah. snobby nerds in the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no. But I think the the strength of the idea is the other thing that makes the movie work. You know, if if it was a weak, if if the original story was a weak idea, it would have been hard for him to build for, to build on it. Do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, and, really hard. Well, yeah. and they're they're smart enough to build on it with that same kind of vibe. Yeah. Because scene that sells that story is when he switches the machine on and they slowly see more and more dangerous bizarre things <laughs> they do that five or six times in this movie right yeah they they just do that scene over and over they knew where the money was yeah no that's true that's true they they basically and 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 the and the only thing that they kind of add is every time they do that it's sort of it is affecting it. the people yeah. too, in a way that they yeah. but they, um, they do it in a way where the characters were within the context of the characters, what they're doing does make sense by having that kind of addictive element yeah. to it. So, it's, Oh yeah. Like the scene where he says like, I've seen this in the streets and like, you're just acting like a junk. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 it would be so many movies don't set that up in a way. And you're like, why do they keep turning this machine on? It's like, this movie well, doesn't actually make me ask that question. No, I think I that's an, I get it. A, I think it's another reason why Bubba's death is disturbing because he's kind of like a rock in the yeah, situation. Yeah, he dies. Like, yeah, it's like everyone's crazy at that point. You've well, only the, got the crazy people left. Yeah, the least stable people are the only ones guiding the narrative, and they are adrift without Bubba, the invincible anchor of goodness and reason. Yeah, I mean that character would have been because the only basically you can see when they're writing the screenplay, he's there because it's like, well. Why does Tilling ass go back to the house with her? It's like, well, we need some muscle to <laughs> to force the issue. But then they 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 really flesh that out rather than yeah. going back to the unnameable and beating up on it again. Just going, okay, well, he's the he could have just been a big guy in a security guard uniform yeah. who just stood there in the background. You've got to go in. Yeah. 
But no, they, they got an actor with personality, and they clearly let him like do things in scenes that sold them. Like that Apple thing is a good example. <laughs> well, but they try, well, trusting your actors is so huge in a thing like this, you know, because well, nothing can nothing can like replace the actual rapport they have with each other on camera. That's and that's something Gordon talks about. That's why he uses the same people in his movies because he really is someone that likes working with actors and likes having rapport with them. And yeah, so well, and he's also shows. getting. He's also like that character's big thing is food. Like, you know, he eats an apple <laughs> yeah. and then he makes he makes that delicious meal. I don't know what was that what was that? Was that cauliflower or a t- popover or something that he it was? It looks cooking? so good. <laughs> but I don't know what it was, and I'm very I mean, it looks delicious, but I can't I couldn't tell if it was a vegetable on top or some kind of baked thing that was, you know, put it but whatever it was, it was delicious. But it I also connects back to the senses. Wait. Right? It, it, it does. Gets, it you know? does. And it's it's interesting because, like, you're right. He's indulging himself there, but he's the only one who has any actual willpower. Is it because he knows how to <laughs> yeah. live with his indulgences? Like, he just oh. has a relationship with them where he, he has, a like, a healthy way of expressing them? Because, like, you'll think about, uh, what was the what was the doctor lady's name? I, I'm so bad with the names. I didn't even know he was uh, Catherine before. something. Uh, yeah, Catherine. Uh, I'm just going to call her Catherine. Like, she's really repressed. Like, she forces herself to not feel her feelings so it affects her mm. in a way that like it it kind of attacks that part of her where she doesn't have a good relationship with her own sensuality and so she kind of goes off the deep end with it yeah um, yeah no it's an interesting interesting thing you know you do have these two academic characters and you've got the guy who's just the <laughs> the well, guy can... what was he a cop or what what was yeah he, he was a cop he was, he was a, a cop. cop yeah yeah that's right of course i remember the and there's something wonderfully human about bubba's character and like telling us when we meet him is a broken man but he he regards the sensual world of pretorius as dangerous he's afraid of it yeah. And so that's even further repressed than Catherine. And so whenever it erupts from him, it's much more monstrous because, again, it's something past his control. And he's smart yeah. enough that he can justify what he does. But he's well, also horrified enough at it that he, that he reacts with revulsion. So, yeah, there's ah, so wonderfully rich and well-considered. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, too, like the the way they do make Pretorius into a genuine misogynist, too, because it's like he's he's encouraging Tillingast to evolve with him, whereas it's like, you know, it's like Catherine's just food. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he looks at her like a victim and there's yeah. no doubt in his mind about how he's going to treat her. And that's one of the things that's kind of chilling about his character. But, it, but it's ironic because Catherine is the one that does seem to want it. She wants to join him like through yeah. a lot of the movie. So it's it's a, it's an interesting dynamic they set up there. Yeah, it's funny because if he had chosen to go try to convert her, mm-hmm. it would have been easy because she was already like almost there herself. She's basically like a smaller version of Pretorius in a way, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, is, is well, yeah, the very outfit interesting. even fits so like that, that right there, like that's a skin tight outfit. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, clearly had yeah, a literal, yeah. The uh, the other thing too about the food is I that like really like you can almost taste it. Do you know what I mean? That oh. was the thing I liked about, yeah, it was you could put that's anything true. on the table, but that did really look good. They went yeah. to some some degree of effort there, but. Oh, man, this movie but yeah, so, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think um, I mean, the only other thing is the ending. Um, two thoughts. Number one, when she bites off the pineal gland, that was really <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> that was one of the most painful scenes to watch. But then when she falls out the window 
and she breaks her leg and it's like a Joe Theismann type situation. Uh-huh. That, you know, uh, was this yeah, made that... after Joe Theismann? Was, was that? Hmm, I have no idea. That's what the internet's for, Brennan. Let's see. Hold on. Let me look this up. I've got my phone. They, don't, they won't hear the typing that way. You spelled Theismann. He was the one who had the compound fracture, right? Oh, God, don't name it. That gives it power. <laughs> of all the horrible stuff in this movie, just a broken yeah. bone was the thing. That, well, oh, it goes. It, I, I actually watched Hellraiser a couple of weeks ago, and Clive Barker talks about when he saw the thing. The thing that really got everyone in the audience was the blood test where they're pricking their finger. Mm. And that's why in Hellraiser, you have the thing when they're going up the stairs with the mattress. Oh, and he, and he slashes hit his, his hand. hand with the nail. Oh. Yeah, that was him going, I've got I've got all this violence in here, but that's going to be the thing that revolts everyone. You know what? To this day, well, it's the one that you can kind of see yourself doing. I exactly. think that's what, what, what sells it, you know? I'm yeah. never going to get swallowed, hopefully. I will never get swallowed by an amorphous mass of alien goo. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I will definitely be moving, a, a, you know, a bed at some point in the future. And when I do that, I can just see myself just like catching that meaty part of my hand on a nail and just. Oh, oh I'm going to be sick. Well, and that's why I think that the Theismann thing, I don't think I even knew that was possible until that happened on TV and people were talking about it. Yeah. So I feel like when this movie came out, it would have been this sort of like this recent thing that people weren't really aware could happen when you broke your leg. And, mm-hmm. and so the movie might've been playing on that concern. Um, Cause I remember, I remember that really impacting. Yeah. 1985. Yeah. Anyone, anyone that's doing effects for a horror movie is like, what's the most gruesome thing I <laughs> saw recently? <laughs> There's no yeah. question. Yeah. That was, that totally would have been on their mind. Yeah. That's their job. So, but yeah, that was, uh, so that was, you know, interesting. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I think that's pretty much everything I have noted down yeah. about the movie. I don't know if there's anything, uh, anything else to discuss. Uh, past our hearty recommendation, I don't even know what my concluding thoughts would be in this movie. Like I've been done not, basically nothing but praise it this whole time. I really can't. I, yeah. like, where's the flaw? Where's the flaw in this movie? It's, it doesn't ever say it's welcome. Brilliant casting, outstanding directing. Um, extremely entertaining creature effects, elevates the source material, you mm-hmm. know, explores new things that are still tonally appropriate, very thoughtful. We can, at least we're contemplative. We're talking about this, this uh, wonderful, wonderful pulpy movie. I'm not going to use schlocky, but a wonderful pulpy movie that's as old as I am. Um, I, I mean, like, it's, everything, everything's so wonderful. The, the only thing that it doesn't have is the uh, outstanding theme song that Reanimator had, which I'm pretty yeah. sure was stolen. Didn't we establish that that wasn't another movie, it too? It was basically like a psycho theme. Though the thing is, I think it's in some ways kind of better than the psycho theme. It just kind of works a little better. So, you know, I, but it's really close to it. It's like, it's it's really close. Um, yeah, this did have good music, though. Like, it's not as good as Reanimator, but still good. And, uh, yeah, they might have had to tone down the, uh, you know, what can we lift? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, the other thing is, I think uh, one note I wanted to mention Sorry is my that. favorite line in the movie is when uh, when he says he bit off his head like a gingerbread man. The way he oh, says yeah. that. Gingerbread is, man. So good. It's so like, good. I would not be able to look at that sentence and 
come up with what he came up with and that i was like wow that, that just the way he says that totally sells me on that line <laughs> um, yeah i also love that like whatever the thing was that ate him ate the thinking part of him and it kind of like absorbed it and became yeah. him there's mm-hmm. there's something wonderfully unsettling about that there, there's a there's a version of that in um alan moore's take on the swamp thing where mm. whenever the, the scientist guy dies he gets basically eaten by the plants that he falls into but like they kind of absorb his brain and so they think yeah. they're him so it's it's like he's this ghost haunting this pile of living vegetable matter and it's what an unsettling notion you know this idea <laughs> that some ersatz version of yourself could exist that has all the continuity of your memories but isn't you in any meaningful way um yeah. it's, it's philosophically unnerving and well, like the it. scene where she finds him with the um the 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 brains that are in like the formaldehyde jar or something. I don't know. Uh, not in the formaldehyde jar, but they're in like some kind of bucket. And yeah. It, that, that I remember that being, that's, that is one of those things that's more, it's not like I've ever seen any brains, but it's somewhat grounded to the point where it really does hit you. Well, yeah. the way she reacts to it sells that scene. Yeah. She goes in trying to mollify a clearly insane person. Yeah. from doing something horrific and harmful to themselves. And she has an actual, she's terrified, but she's professional. Yeah. And that kind of, it was so real the way she yeah, responded yeah. to that, that you're like, oh God, this guy's really eating brains. Like well, whatever part of your brain is necessary <laughs> for that well, really. It seemed like she really cared about his well-being in that moment too, which I think yeah. is the thing that like, you know, she's not just a over the top evil doctor. She, she's yeah, trying pretty much- to, yeah. yeah, pretty much every other scene she has is with Catherine, and she's just angry at Catherine the yeah. whole time. So you're really seeing one dimension of her. And this is like, once Catherine leaves the room, this is what she's like. <laughs> well, get us that girl, that girl wonder thing clearly gets under her skin. That's the yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, know, and it probably is because yeah. she is a pretty professional, capable, by the book kind of doctor who does good yeah. work. And she's well, also. You know. Also, I think it's worth noting she's giving all of the right, correct advice of what to do, and <laughs> Catherine is the one who gets listened to, and mm-hmm. Catherine is the younger, prettier. Do you know what I mean? There yeah. is like, so I think I think that that was you know a lot of sort of if the cop had just listened to her from the beginning, none of this would have happened. Oh yeah, um, you yeah. Know? yeah so, so many people wouldn't have been eaten by a pale yeah. monster. <laughs> so. But yeah, so I guess why don't we end it there? And uh, I don't know, are we still doing Lovecraft or are we at the end of our Oh Lovecraft? yeah, no, we got um, more Lovecraft. I, I get oh, to force more. you to watch Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, and it's going to happen. I, I but even that's a cartoon, isn't Didn't you say that's a cartoon? Or like watch a the cartoon, race? Brendan. Cartoons. I'm going to watch it with or without the podcast. So, so All right, so with that, we'll head out. And until next time, we will talk to you later.